0: When Vikal first joined a Chinese fishing vessel, he was met with harsh conditions. Working up to 19 hours a day with broken equipment, he was exposed to all sorts of weather.
1: To make things worse, I had to endure working with an old and broken fishing line. It's beyond my count how many fish had slid from the fishing line because of the useless tool. And whenever this happened, I had to take the outburst of the captain or four men. They used to scold me to the point where I could feel their spit on my face. It showed how bad it was. I really wanted to protest and challenge the captain, but I knew they would cut my pay if I did not comply. Regularly, the captain hit me when I unintentionally cut the line despite my best efforts to hold on to it. However, the load in the net was often so excessive and it was not my fault that the equipment was too old to use.
0: Vikal was not given rest breaks and his legs swelled up from long hours of work. He knew that he had no other option. And if the fishing line broke due to a big catch, he would get
1: beaten. The violin was very upsetting to me. As a result of those beatings, I frequently got bruises. My friend was once severely beaten by the captain and as a result, his nose and temples bled.
0: Despite tough conditions and exploitation on a fishing ship, Vikal actually returned for further assignments.
1: Jobs are becoming increasingly scarce because of the pandemic. I had to make the decision to join the crew for the third time. This is the only way out of poverty for my family. Nonetheless, I'm gripped by anxiety. Thinking about my next trip gives me also of stress. My gut instincts tells me that the company I'm currently working for has stolen my money. But there's nothing I can do right now. I sincerely hope that my fortunes will change on the next attempt. For the time being, I'm still waiting to hear from them about my departure date.
0: That recording was part of the account of Vakal. The name has been changed. The words are being read by a proxy, but the account is real. From Latrobe Asia, this is the catch. Hello, I'm Beck Striding, the director of Latrobe Asia. And in this special mini-series, we'll be hearing about the problem of modern-day slavery and forced labour in the offshore fishing industry across the Asia-Pacific region. This is part two, In Too Deep. I'm joined in this by Dr Sally Yeh, a Tracy Banavanua Ma Fellow at La Trobe University, and a human geographer and expert in the human impact of modern-day slavery and human trafficking. Thank you for joining me, Sally. Thank you, Beck. In the previous episode, you told us how a person can come to join a fishing vessel, how they often have very few options open to them, and how they are recruited using deceptive techniques.
2: Yes, false promises about workloads and about salary, deceptive or fraudulent contracts, and recruits often owe a lot of money even before they start to work on the fishing vessels. And of course, they're subject to salary and wage deductions once they're on board and other really quite appalling conditions once they start work. So in this episode, we're thinking
0: about their experiences once they are on the fishing vessel. So what do these men encounter in their first few days? And how much of a disconnect is there between what they've been promised and what the reality is?
2: Yes, many of the men In our research spoke about extremely long working hours sometimes upwards of 20 or 22 hours a day seven days a week and very harsh conditions on board the fishing vessels including dangerous fishing practices and a lack of safety equipment and protocols abuse from senior crew and captains, so a range of different very negative and disturbing experiences that these men have once they reach the fishing vessels. And in the first podcast, we heard from Sonalia, who was one of the Fijian fishers, and he in particular documented exactly how much time he was working on board the fishing vessels.
3: Once we reached the fishing ground, we had to cast our lines from 5 a.m. until 12 noon. Breakfast was always biscuit and tea. After casting our lines, we would rest until 3 p.m. When would we have to pull in the lines? The earliest we could finish work was around 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. Most of the time, if there were a lot of fish biting or lots of tangled knot, that we would work through the night until 5am. Straight after bringing in the last beacon, we would immediately cast the lines and continue to work until 12pm. Then we would rest. At 3pm, we would pull in the lines again. This was a normal routine of 24 hours, seven days a week, either good or bad weather. So,
0: we've heard from Sonalia that the fishers are expected to work very long days, you know, two, three hour breaks in 24 hours. With this kind of schedule, the men must have been risking their health working on these vessels.
2: Yes, absolutely. Every single fisherman that we've spoken to on these vessels suffered injury, sometimes really serious injuries, or know of someone who has suffered an injury or who has become ill as a result of these conditions. And there are many others who've died on board these fishing vessels. And of course, many of these deaths the majority I would say of these deaths could have been preventable. So some of the most common injuries are cuts and gashes from fish hooks that are very common recollection of the men in our research. And this happens when the fishing lines swing back into the vessel from the sea. Another really common injury is shark bites. But Perhaps one of the most tragic accounts comes from one of the Fijian fishers, Cyrusi, And he, as you know from the first episode, became a recruiter. And he told us this story, which was part of his narrative.
4: I recall a boy from Vanuatu. It was his first time on a fishing vessel. And he was the only pigeon on the vessel. As it was the first trip, he was eager to learn the job. One afternoon, while they were howling, the mainline, got tangled with a propeller. No one volunteered to go underwater to clear the propeller. So they asked him to do it. He told them this was his first trip, and he didn't know how to dive and clear the fishing line from the propeller. He asked if someone could accompany him as he was scared of sharks, but the captain insisted that he go alone. He was attached to a compressor. He said a prayer, asking the Lord for his protection before diving down to the propeller. While clearing the lines, he found it very hard to breathe through the compressor, but he managed to clear the propeller and came up safely on board. That night he found it difficult to breathe and was weak, so he asked the captain if he could be transferred back to the mainland as he was feeling sick. The captain didn't believe him. He kept on forcing him to work until he collapsed. They didn't feed him for three days. When they came ashore, he was taken straight to hospital after a week. I heard the sad news that he had passed away in hospital. I heard here that this family was compensated.
0: So it's quite clear from this account that working on these fishing vessels could be very dangerous Uh, for these men. So I'm wondering whether you can tell us a little bit more about just how dangerous these jobs get. Is this something that was a regular experience across men working on these fishing vessels?
2: Yes. Well, the experience that you've just heard is very much about a lack of safety conditions and a lack of knowledge and training on the part of the fishing crew and the regulations around this are so incredibly lax across contexts. But there are a number of reasons why these injuries happened, and why there's a heightened vulnerability, if you like, to serious injury and also to illness on these vessels. One of the things that some of the fishermen talked about in our research is this issue of transshipment which involves moving fish from one fishing vessel to another fishing vessel and what some of the men have talked about is that they have to get onto very small rickety rafts with loads of fish and move them between the fishing vessel and the reefer or the cargo storage vessel that takes the fish back to shore. So these small rafts go back and forth between the two boats, the fishing boats, and men have talked about sharks circling underneath, attracted by the smell of the fish and the blood from the fish and extremely dangerous work and an extremely dangerous position for the vessel captains to put these men in i mean it absolutely if they fell overboard that would be it for these men so that that's something that we heard a little bit about particularly from the fijian fishers in our research beyond that beyond these types of practices that the fishing vessels engage in most injuries i think can be attributed to a, a couple of different things one is the lack of training of the men in basic safety and the use of equipment on board the vessels. And in fact, what's really interesting is that many of the Indonesian recruits had never even seen the ocean before being deployed on these fishing vessels. So not only were they not trained, but they knew nothing about fishing one of the other reasons why these injuries are so common is because senior crew and captains put the men in deliberately dangerous situations and you saw that from the account that was just heard of the young Fijian guy who died or, for example, of guys who were transshipped on rafts.
0: So I wonder, Sally, if there's a, a sort of third... Aspect here that can explain why injuries such as these are a common occurrence on fishing vessels, and that's to do uh, with the capacities of governments to regulate what goes on on these fishing vessels or encourage fishing operators to implement safety conditions because they're at sea there seems to be a kind of lack of uh, accountability or transparency around working
2: conditions is that the case Yes to some extent that's true I mean there are regulations around the offshore fishing industry and training OHNS training and training in fishing techniques and so on is actually mandatory for these crew. But what you will often find happening both in Indonesia and Fiji is the training certificates and the fishing certificates may be forged or they may be signed off without the men having really thoroughly completed the work and the training that is required to work safely on these fishing vessels. So that does make it quite difficult for maritime authorities and government authorities to really be able to thoroughly check the extent to which the crew on these vessels are really safe in their work because they may have the certificates on paper, but in practice they still may not have the skills or the knowledge or the training to really be able to keep themselves safe. But look, I think ultimately the senior crew and the vessel captains should be held accountable for allowing their crew to mm-hmm. engage in dangerous practices that flout workplace safety Regulations. And so at the moment, there is very little disincentive against the vessel captains and senior crew because nobody's really monitoring these vessels once they're out at sea. And very few of these vessel captains are ever punished Mm. or fined for flouting these safety regulations. So that is a particular problem.
0: And we've talked a bit about injuries, but you mentioned it's not just injuries, but there's issues around illness or preventable diseases. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
2: Yes. Well, it's true for many precarious migrant workers, not just in the fishing industry. You find this in sectors like agriculture and construction and so on as well where the living conditions of the men are really inadequate. And you could have situations where men are rotating beds, where they're not getting adequate rest, where they're being given expired food or food that is spoiled, or where the water rations are not adequate for one person. All of these living conditions, I think, can lead to deteriorating health of the fishing crew, fatigue, weakness in their body. These things impact on their vulnerability to being injured, but also it leads to a high incidence of illness and preventable disease on board the fishing vessels. One thing that a lot of the men in this research complained about was skin problems and skin diseases after they returned to shore. They generally encounter these or experience these skin problems because they're just bathing in salt water all the time with no soap or anything like that, and that's really affected their skin. So there are lots of different things. There are lots of different impacts in terms of susceptibility to illness that come as a result of not getting adequate rest, not getting adequate food and so on on these boats. So there's often a mix
0: of nationalities
2: on these fishing vessels.
0: Uh, Has there been an issue with racism in amongst this dangerous occupation?
2: Yeah, many of the vessels are owned by Chinese fishing companies with Chinese captains. Others are owned by Taiwanese or Korean interests. And we've heard about a mix of crew nationalities, but mostly Indonesian, Fijian and Filipino Also, in the Thai fishing industry, many fishermen are from Cambodia and Myanmar. And common to all these nationalities are accounts of harsh treatment, as we've heard, lower pay, poor conditions and so on. And many of the men who participated in our research explained these conditions and this harsh treatment as a result of racism from Taiwanese, Korean or Chinese vessel captains or or the senior crew on the vessels. The account that we heard at the beginning from Vikal is an example of that. And the Fijian fisherman Timo has a story that we found to be quite typical of how racism aboard these vessels can lead to quite extreme situations of violence.
5: Racism is really common on Chinese fishing vessel. On one trip, we were only given rice and sashimi raw fish to eat on three days. While the Chinese crew had separate normal dishes that included chicken, vegetables and mutton with rice. We would argue a lot with the Chinese crew. All the heavy workload would be given to us while the Chinese crew would only do light duty one morning we tasted soap powder on our breakfast when we questioned him the cook denied knowing anything about it we would not retaliate at sea because there were only two fijians and 12 chinese so we waited until we reached suva after we docked in suva we started punching the chinese crew the cook and the chef officer were both admitted to the hospital for one week They or the company or the agent did not lodge a formal complaint, so we were not charged by police. Anyway, it was their fault as they were the ones who initiated everything.
0: So that excerpt from Timo demonstrates that racism is something that was commonly experienced by men on these fishing vessels, but he also notes that they often did not lodge a formal complaint. So I'm wondering, Sally, why is it that these men wouldn't lodge a formal complaint and were there any repercussions in these instances of racism?
2: It's very unlikely that men who experience abuse from captains or senior crew will lodge a complaint mainly because they're very disillusioned about the likelihood that they would be successful in achieving some kind of legal justice against these senior personnel on the fishing vessels. It's, it's almost unheard of for a vessel captain or senior crew to be punished or to be fined or to any way be held accountable for their actions on the fishing vessels. That really is such a big gap in addressing this issue. I mean, we talk about the recruitment and the fraudulent contracts and the salaries as being a a really big problem and the working hours, excessive working hours and so on. But it's really the attitude of the vessel captains and senior crew towards the foreign fishes that is incredibly problematic because the perception that these crew are just disposable men and that they can be treated any way that they deem fit and they can be just worked to the bone and exploited, knowing that there will be no real accountability for their actions is a major problem on these vessels and one that I really don't think has been adequately addressed or even researched to this point. Our next episode is going to discuss issues of
0: accountability and justice when these men return from working on the fishing vessels. Thank you for joining me Sally. You're welcome back. You've been listening to the Catch, a podcast mini-series produced by Latrobe Asia, and you can find the report on the Latrobe Asia website. Our theme music is Fruition by Edoy. This podcast was developed with the support of the United States Agency for International Development. The views do not necessarily reflect those of USAID. My name is Beck Strouding, and thank you for listening.